Hello, adventurer, and welcome to the Skyrim Book Club, the on-the-go solution for the busy adventure in Tamriel's coldest, far-reaching province. Let us collect the literature and lore of this great province for you and put it into a portable package so that you never have to stop fighting dragons, picking flowers, or stealing from shopkeepers when they aren't looking. With an ever-increasing archive, SkyrimBookClub.ca has got the story for you. Until next time, enjoy the book. Feyfolken by Wagin Yarth, Volume 2 After the test had been given, and Vongoldak and Taksim had demonstrated their knowledge of elementary conjuration, the great sage told them that they were free to enjoy the day. The two lads, who most afternoons fidgeted through their lessons, refused to leave their seats. You told us that after the test, you'd tell us more of your tale about the scribe and his enchanted quill, said Taksim. You've already told us about the scribe, how he lived alone, and his battles with the temple secretary over the bulletin he scripted for posting, and how he suffered from the Crimson Plague and couldn't speak. When you left off, his messenger boy had just had his master's quill enchanted with the spirit of a daedra named Feyfolken, added Vongodak, to aid the great sage's memory. As it happens, said the great sage, I was thinking about a nap. However, the story does touch on some issues of the natures of spirits, and thus is related to conjuration, so I'll continue. Thaurbad began using the quill to write the temple bulletin, and there was something about the slightly lopsided, almost three-dimensional quality of the letters that Thaurbad liked a lot. Into the night, Thaurbad put together the Temple of Oriel's bulletin. From the moment he washed over the page with the Feyfolken quill, it became a work of art, an illuminated manuscript crafted of gold, but with good, simple, and strong vernacular. The sermon excerpts read like poetry, despite being based on the archpriest's workmanlike exhortation of the most banal of the Elysian doctrines. The obituaries of two of the temple's chief benefactors were stark and powerful. Pitifully mundane deaths transitioned into world-class tragedies. Tharbad worked the magical palette until he nearly fainted from exhaustion. At six o'clock in the morning, a day before deadline, he handed the bulletin to Gorgos for him to carry to Alfieres, the temple secretary. As expected, Alfieres never wrote back to compliment him, or even comment on how early he had sent the bulletin. It didn't matter. Thaurbad knew it was the best bulletin the temple had ever posted. At one o'clock on Sundas, Gorgos brought him many messages. The bulletin today was so beautiful, when I read it in the vestibule, I'm ashamed to tell you I wept copiously, wrote the archpriest. I don't think I've seen anything that captures Oriel's glory so beautiful before. The cathedrals of first hold pale in comparison. My friend, I prostrate myself before the greatest artist since Galael. The archpriest was, like most men of the cloth, given to hyperbole. Still, Thaurbad was happy with the compliment. More messages followed. All of the temple elders and 33 of the parishioners, young and old, had all taken the time to find out who wrote the bulletin and how to get a message to congratulate him. And there was only one person they could go through for that information. Alfieres. Imagining the dragon lady besieged by his admirers filled Thaurbad with positive glee. He was still in a good mood the next day when he took the ferry to his appointment with his healer, Telemachio. The herbalist was new, a pretty redguard woman who tried to talk to him, even after he gave her the note reading, My name is Thaurbad Halzik, and I have an appointment with Telemachio for eleven o'clock. Please forgive me for not talking, but I have no voice box anymore. Has it started raining yet? she asked cheerfully. The diviner said it might. Thaurbad frowned and shook his head angrily. Why was it that everyone thought that mute people liked being talked to? Did soldiers who lost their arms like to be thrown balls? It was undoubtedly not a purposely cruel behavior, but Thaurbad still suspected that some people just liked to prove that they weren't crippled too. 
The examination itself was routine horror. Telemachio performed the regular invasive torture, all the while chatting and chatting and chatting. You ought to try talking once in a while. That's the only way to see if you're getting better. If you don't feel comfortable doing it in public, you can try practicing it by yourself, said Telemachio, knowing her patient would ignore her advice. Try singing in the bath. You'll probably find you don't sound as bad as you think. Tharbad left the examination with the promise of test results in a couple of weeks. On the ferry ride back home, Tharbad began thinking of next week's temple bulletin. What about a double border around the last Sundas's offering plate announcement? Putting the sermon in two columns instead of one might have interesting effects. It was almost unbearable to think that he couldn't get started on it until after Alfier sent him information. When she did, it was with the note, Last bulletin, a little better. Next time, don't use the word fortuitous in place of fortunate. The words are not, if you look them up, synonymous. In response, Thaurbad almost followed Telemichiel's advice by screaming obscenities at Gorgos. Instead, he drank a bottle of cheap wine, composed and sent a suitable reply, and fell asleep on the floor. The next morning, after a long bath, Thaurbad began work on the bulletin. His idea for putting a light shading effect on the special announcement section had an amazing textural effect. Alfieres always hated the extra decorations he added to the borders, but using the fey folk and quill, they looked strangely powerful and majestic. Gorgos came to him with a message from Alfieres at that very moment, as if in response to the thought. Tharabad opened it up. It simply said, I'm sorry. Tharabad kept working. Alfieres' note he put from his mind, sure that she would soon follow it up with the complete message. I'm sorry that no one ever taught you to keep right-handed and left-handed margins the same length. Or, I'm sorry we can't get someone other than a weird old man as scribe of our bulletin. It didn't matter what she was sorry about. The columns from the sermon notes rose like the massive pillar of roses, crowned with unashamedly ornate headers. The obituaries and birth announcements were framed together with a spherical border as a heartbreaking declaration of the circle of life. The bulletin was simultaneously both warm and avant-garde. It was a masterpiece. When he sent it off to Alfieres late that afternoon, he knew she'd hate it, and was glad. Thaurbad was surprised to get a message from the temple on Lordas. Before he read the content... He could tell from the style that it wasn't from Alfieres. The handwriting wasn't Alfieres' usual belligerent slashing style, and it wasn't all in Alfieres' usual capital letters, which read like a scream from oblivion. Thaurbad, I thought you should know Alfieres isn't at the temple anymore. She quit her position yesterday, very suddenly. My name is Vanderthil, and I was lucky enough, let me admit it now, I begged pitifully, to be your new temple contact. I'm overwhelmed by your genius. I was having a crisis of faith until I read last week's bulletin. This week's bulletin is a miracle. Enough. I just wanted to say I'm honored to be working with you. Vanderthil. The response on Sundas after the service even astonished Thaurbad. The archpriest attributed the massive increase in attendance and collection plate offerings entirely to the bulletin. Thaurbad's salary was quadrupled. Gorgos brought over 120 messages from his adoring public. The following week, Thaurbad sat in front of his writing plank, a glass of fine Torvali mead at his side, staring at the blank scroll. He had no ideas. The bulletin, his child, his second wife, bored him. The third-rate sermons of the archbishop were absolute anathema, and the deaths and births of the temple patrons struck him as entirely pointless. Blah, blah, he thought, as he scribbled on the page. He knew he wrote the letters B-L-A-H, B-L-A-H. The words that appeared on the scroll, however, were a knuckles of pearl on a white neck. He scrawled a jagged line across the page. It appeared in through that damn beautiful fey folk and quill, glory to Oriel. 
Thorbad slammed the quill and poetry spilled forth in a stream of ink. He scratched over the page, blotting over everything, and the vanquished words sprung back up in different form, even more exquisite than before. Every daub and splatter caused the document to whirl like a kaleidoscope before falling together in gorgeous asymmetry. There was nothing he could do to ruin the bulletin. Feyfolken had taken over. He was a reader, not an author. Now, asked the great sage, what was Feyfolken from your knowledge of the School of Conjuration? What happened next? cried Vongelduk. First, tell me what Feyfolken was, and then I'll continue the story. You said it was a daedra, said Taxine, and it seems to have something to do with artistic expression. Was Feyfolken a servitor of Azura? But the scribe may have been imagining all this, said Vongeldak. Perhaps Feyfolken is a servitor of Sheogorath, and he's gone mad. Or the quill's writing makes everyone who views it, like all the congregation at the Temple of Oriel, go mad. Hermaeus Mora is the Daedra of Knowledge, and Hircine is the Daedra of the Wild, and the Daedra of Revenge is Boetia, pondered Taxine, and then he smiled. Feyfolken is a servitor of Clavicus Vile, isn't it? Very good, said the sage. How did you know? It's his style, said Taxine, assuming that he doesn't want the power of the quill now that he has it. What happens next? I'll tell you, said the great sage, and continued the tale. 